This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Wild Olive, where we host game-changing conversation about literature, culture, and the Bible. I'm Jennifer Bird, a biblical scholar. And I'm Jean Patrol, a literature scholar. If you want to change your Bible reading game, you can try reading the Bible as literature. The way writers such as Emily Dickinson, Octavia Butler, Ursula Le Guin, James Baldwin, or Tony Kushner do. Every other week, we let modern writers give a fresh take on a familiar Bible story. Did you know that Emily Dickinson uses woman-by-the-well imagery to explore lesbian desire? (laughs) That's wild. And doesn't June Jordan use a Gospel of Matthew image to describe the civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer? Yes. And Tony Kushner's Angels in America uses apocalypse imagery to describe the fall of the Berlin Wall. That's wild. If you like conversations about the Bible that could go anywhere, tune in to Wild Olive wherever you get your podcasts. This is Todd Vick, author of The Reconstructing of Your Mind. And I take my coffee the way I take my theology. Strong, hot, and eye-opening. That's why I love the Second Cup with Keith podcast. Hello and welcome back to Second Cup with Keith. I'm your host, Keith Giles. And, you know, one of the hardest things for us to do, I think, is to admit when we're wrong. And I have to admit that I was wrong and have been wrong about something for a long, long time. Um, But of course, like with all things I've said before, This is the reason why I strongly encourage people, uh, especially if you're deconstructing your faith, to um, learn how to deconstruct your need to be right. Because in all of our deconstructing, we're rethinking and and changing and challenging our theological uh, assumptions. And often when we change our view, we suddenly decide, well, uh, I'm right. You know, I, I use that quote all the time. The funny thing about my worldview is no matter how many times it changes, I'm always right. But the reality is I'm actually wrong, uh, and I have a tendency to be wrong, and we all do. And so it's really important for us to hold the possibility that we could be wrong um, at the front of our minds. And and for me, what that means is then I don't let the cement dry on my beliefs. I I definitely think them through, and I could say, well, at the moment— Um, I'm leaning in this direction, um, but I'm open to hearing other views and other ideas uh, because I do recognize that I have been wrong before, and that means I'm probably wrong about some things now, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be wrong in the future. And the the goal is not to be right. It's not about the the relationship we have with God um, is not based on our ability to pass some sort of cosmic test or theological test at any point. And so it isn't about our information, the things that we think we believe or the things that we believe we know. It really is about our connection with God, our experience uh, of God. And that is about transformation, much, much more important. Anyway, let me get back to what I was saying about being wrong. So um, for the longest time, I had um, a strong resistance, I guess I could say, uh, to the idea that everyone is in Christ. Because I was raised this way, because this was the theology I inherited, um, the, the theological perspective that I was given, I, re- I really believed that um, you had to make some sort of a decision for Christ in order to be saved or to be a Christian or etc. And I guess on one level, at least to be a Christian, 
Um, yeah, you have to acknowledge Jesus in some fashion, but that's different. So what I'm talking about is whether or not Christ uh, is in everyone. In other words, the the, the scenario that I imagined uh, and that I believed was true was something like this, that, that I got to the point that I believe that everybody uh, was in Christ. This may seem weird. Uh, I finally had made the, the moved my theology a little bit to say, well, I think everyone is in Christ, but Christ isn't in everyone. So what does that mean? Well, I base this on a couple things. Uh, there's this verse in uh, the book of Acts, which I know I've referenced many times uh, in this podcast, where where Paul the Apostle is speaking famously to um, these idol-worshiping pagans in Athens. And he says to them, now these are completely pagan idol-worshippers. They don't even know who Jesus is. They know nothing about, have no understanding at all of this concept of Christ. And uh, what Paul tells them is that there is this unknown God that, that they don't know, and he wants to tell them who this unknown God is. And so he begins to tell them about this unknown God. And he says that this is the God in whom we all live and move and have our being. And so based on that statement, um, I had adjusted my opinion that, okay, even if you have not uh, made some sort of a conscious decision to follow Christ or, you know, invited Christ into your heart or something like that, that at bare minimum, everyone was in Christ because of that statement. So I kind of came up with this analogy of, uh, let's say you have like an empty plastic water bottle, right? And it's empty. So there's nothing inside of it, but air. And you screw the cap on tight and you throw it in the middle of the ocean, right? And then maybe you, you take it and you dive, you know, deep, deep, deep into the ocean, right? And so now you could say that that water bottle was in the ocean, but the ocean was not in the water bottle, right? Why? Well, because that cap was still sealed. And unless you were then to unseal that cap and allow the ocean to flood into that water bottle, you, the ocean isn't in the bottle, but the bottle is in the ocean, Right. And I was really comfortable with that analogy for a long, long time. I even dropped it into one of my books early on in my Jesus Sun series um, as a way to express, you know, these are the important nuances of understanding um, that not everyone, uh, Christ is not in everyone, but everyone is in Christ. And I was comfortable with that for a while. But um, as I said, I have come to believe now that I think I was wrong about that. And it was a process for me. I'll say it was a really long process for me. I wrestled with this for a long, long time. Now, but let me give myself a little credit. I was at least open-minded to the conversation. So I had not made up my mind as far as like, oh, no, it's done. It's 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 uh, settled. And, um, and I'm not willing to entertain you know, any other information. So thankfully, I didn't go that far. Uh, and that's, uh, of course, the only reason why I was able <laughs> to eventually change my mind about this, because uh, I didn't let the cement harden completely. 
uh, even though I was fairly convinced I had good arguments for reasons for why I believed it. But again, I, I continued to engage in conversations with friends of mine who, who did their loving best, their kind, loving, patient best to, uh, you know, help me see what I was missing, uh, to point out these blind spots that I had. So eventually I was, um, I was able to change my mind about this and to say, well, you know, I think I've been wrong about it. I think actually there's really good reason to believe that not only is everyone in Christ, but that Christ is in everyone. Now, not everyone is aware of it. Not everybody realizes it. And that, of course, that makes sense. We can look around the world and see there are plenty of people, even people, by the way, who think they are in Christ. Uh, I mean, yeah, we could talk about like, people in other countries who are Hindus or Buddhists or even atheists or things like that and say, well, yeah, those people certainly don't have, uh, don't, don't, don't behave in a way that, that shows and, you know, that Christ is in them, although that isn't necessarily true. Um, but I mean, I think you could even look at people who would call themselves Christians who would say, oh no, I'm a Christian and, and I'm in Christ and Christ is in me. And they also don't behave very much like Christ, right? So, uh, the real, test of that that experienced reality of knowing that Christ is in you and not only knowing Christ is in you but living your life in such a way that reflects and allows the Christ in you to shine out to be um experienced not only by you individually privately but that the Christ in you is is acknowledged and seen and um and known by people around you. And so, of course, that's where the sort of the fullness of Christ in someone is manifest, right, is is revealed. And I do believe, I've come to believe, that um, that, that Christ that is in everyone can be seen and experienced and revealed and actual, whether or not that person uses that terminology. Right. So a Christian would say, I, you know, I believe that I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. And, and then you would, then you would see it manifest or not. But I think there's plenty of people that are atheists or Hindus or Buddhists or what have you, um, who may not even know anything about or have any understanding at all, sort of informationally, uh, theologically about who Jesus was or who Christ is or any of any scripture verses at all, uh, from the New Testament. But at the same time, you could spend time with them. You could observe them. You could be around them. And you would say, oh, man, I see Christ in this person. I have experienced uh, the beautiful, loving, kind, selfless uh, spirit of Christ in this individual. So anyway, let me talk about how I made the leap. How did I get from initially believing that Christ was only in Christians or that Christians were the only ones in Christ, and then moving slightly a little bit up forward to say, well, okay, based on some of these uh, other scriptures that I've seen, adjusting my view to say that everyone is in Christ, Christian or otherwise, but then made the leap to say, no, I actually now I'm going to affirm that I think that everyone is not only in Christ, but Christ is in everyone. And then how do we reconcile that? So first, let me talk about how I made the the shift. Um, so I had been having, as I said, uh, 
I used to co-host a, a podcast with a, a guy named Jamal Javanji, and um, he and I did not agree on many things, but this is one of them. And uh, almost every other episode, at least, we would have this conversation, right? Uh, sort of a friendly debate. And so I was always going back and forth with him over this. Well, but that's not eventually what convinced me. Um, I was having a conversation with another friend of mine. Uh, his name is Chuck McKnight. And then he showed me a verse that I had never noticed before. And really, this is probably the verse that I started meditating on and looking at that that kind of led me a little bit further along the road to finally to where I am now to say that, no, okay, I do believe that Christ is in everyone. So what he showed me in this conversation we were having uh, was uh, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Um, and it says in that passage that um, that there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And that's pretty much the way I began to sort of rethink my whole view on whether or not Christ was in everyone or not. Because I couldn't I couldn't reconcile that with other verses that I had seen to say, okay, wow. So I already have these verses that that help me accept the idea that everyone is in Christ. But here's a verse that actually says that God is the father of all and that God is over all and through all and in all. Now, now I, I, again, let me say, this is saying that it's God, right? So God and God, the father is over all and through all and in all. But if God is in everyone, then of course, Christ is in everyone too, because Christ and the father are one. So yeah, that was the first, like, huh, well, what am I going to do with that? Well, then um, I just started looking at some other verses, and this also kind of began to reinforce this idea. So if you, in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, I came across another verse that, that seemed to be saying the same thing, that says that Christ is all and is in all. And um, that word all uh, means everyone. <laughs> so yeah, Christ is all and Christ is in all. So yeah, that started to make me wonder, huh? Um, and there's also a verse in Galatians chapter one, um, when it's just this, the, the, the phraseology that Paul uses in Galatians one, starting at verse 15. And he's kind of giving his own little testimonial there. And he says, it's the way he phrases that. He says that God was pleased to reveal his son. Now that's Christ. That God was pleased to reveal Christ in me. So it's interesting, again, about it's the way Paul phrases it. Paul doesn't say that God was pleased to reveal Christ to me. Now, that's the way you would phrase it if you first had to have Christ revealed to you, and then you would need to make a step or decision to invite Christ into you. But if Christ is already in you, then all you would need is what Paul says in Galatians 1, 15 to 16, that God all, God all God has to do is to reveal Christ 
in you, because Christ is already in you, you it just hasn't been revealed to you, right? Like, ah, here's Christ, and Christ is already in you, and has been in you. You just weren't aware of it. And I kind of think that that's really what's going on. There's a beautiful uh, testimony in Richard Rohr's book, The Universal Christ. And 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 by the time I read this book, um, I had already began to change my mind in this uh, on this topic. But it was really kind of the it was a beautiful little illustration. It's right at the beginning of like chapter one of of the Universal Christ. Great book, by the way, if you haven't read it. Um, but it was a beautiful testimony that he shared <clears throat> of um, this woman who is uh, some uh, she's a mystic. And she shares a testimony, which he he relates in his book, of how she was like on a subway train. And I believe this was in England or something. So she was in the tubes or something. And anyway, she's riding on this train and she just suddenly had this um, revelation of she could suddenly see, as she said it, she could see Christ in everyone and everyone. Everyone she looked at it, she just kind of scanned across this train car, the subway car, she could literally see Christ in every person. And then she said, um, when the train stopped and she got out and walked up to the sidewalk, uh, continued, the, the vision continued. She continued to see Christ in people all around her. And in fact, I think this continued for several days um, before it sort of faded. But her she had this wonderful observation where she said that during this time when she could see Christ in literally everyone that she encountered and looked at, she she used this phrase. She said that for some people that Christ was alive in them, Christ was shining in them, Christ was smiling in them, right, um, and vibrant in them. But in other people, when she looked at them, she could see Christ in them, but Christ was, and this was the phrase she used, and I love this. She said it was, she could see Christ in some people, but it was as if Christ was in his tomb awaiting the resurrection. And I thought, oh, that is it. That's the missing piece for me. And um, that really helped me because I thought, you know what? I think that helps explain to me how it could be that Christ could be in everyone. And yet, of course, literally we see this, not everyone. You, you, we're not able to actually perceive Christ in everyone because not everyone is actually, uh, not everyone, Christ is not alive, has not been resurrected in everyone. And so for some people, if Christ has been resurrected in, in them, well, then it's easy to see Christ in them, right? I don't need a vision. <laughs> I can see it. Wow, there it is. It's right plain as day. But for people that it's difficult to see Christ in, then what's really happening there? Well, what's happening there is that Christ is in them, but it's but it's Christ in the tomb with the, the, the stone rolled across the entrance. And, you know, it could take some time, but eventually, inevitably, Christ will resurrect. Christ will be revealed in that person one way or the other eventually. And so that was a beautiful picture that really helped me a lot um, to really rethink this idea of Christ and everyone. And again, these verses of scripture also really helped me 
Now, I probably should just, in all fairness, say there are verses that that seem to challenge this idea, right? So in 2 Corinthians 13, uh, 5 through 6, there's a a passage where Paul says, uh, writing to the church in Corinth, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Now, if I stopped right there, um, that would that would seem like an affirmation that what Paul is saying is, well, check yourself, right? And examine yourselves, and then you'll see that Christ is in you, right? But then he keeps going, and he kind of leads a little bit of a what if or a doubt there. He says, well, unless, of course, you failed this test. And he says, and I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. So um, in that particular verse, I guess there's there's different ways you can take that, right? You could take it as him reminding them, hey, stop and remember that Christ, yes, Christ is in you. And then, but then he, he, he ends with the affirmation, and I trust that you will discover um, that, you know, you haven't failed this test. And it may just simply be uh, a bit of a, a nudge and a reminder for them and for all of us to say, Remember that, you know, realize that Christ Jesus is in you. And, you know, at one level, yes, we could fail that test. I mean, there are times when we don't always live up to that reality, and we need to be reminded of that. We need to test ourselves and say, oh, do you do you remember that? Oh, that's right. Christ is in you. That's right. So live from that place. Don't live as someone don't live as if you are someone for whom Christ is not alive in you. So that's how I take that verse now. I mean, I, I think I used to use that verse as sort of a proof text that aha. See, Paul is saying that Christ is not in everybody. But I, I, I as I read it now, I, I see it as an affirmation that no, Christ is in everybody. Don't you realize, he says, that Christ Jesus is in you? And then this whole thing of like, unless you fail the test. But I don't think it's a test of whether or not Christ really is in you or is not in you. I think it's more of um, the test is whether or not you are living out of that reality or not. I, I really honestly believe that's that's all that's being said there. And it's really just a challenge to them to sort of sober them up and, and help them go, okay, wait a second. Yeah, hold on. Don't forget <laughs> that you really are living your life. It's not... Uh, it's you. It's not you who lives any longer, as Paul says in other places, uh, or about himself. Right? That it, I, I no longer live, but Christ. It's Christ in me that's living this life. And so, um, I think that's really just a, another way of saying that same idea. And again, now just to be fair, in Romans eight nine through ten, there's also another passage, uh, and he says, "You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you." And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And, But again, it, you, again, you could take it two ways. So um, he does do a little bit of a if-then sort of a scenario, like, well, if you're in Christ, then this is true. But if you're not in Christ, then this is not true of you. Um, but again, I think this is still discussing the level of um, realization and actualization. He's not speaking of, like, again, here, here's why. Because we have the passages that I've already mentioned. 
that affirm that Christ is all and is in all. Uh, in two places, we have those kinds of verses. And we have Paul saying that it pleased God to reveal Christ in him. Again, Christ was already in him. It just needed to be revealed. Or, in this other analogy, resurrected or awakened within us. And so, in these other places where it seems as if Paul is doing this if-then kind of language, um, I think he's just pointing out when you are someone who has realized that Christ is in you, and now you begin to live this way, then this is how you live. But if you have not recognized that, then you have a different experience. And again, I really think that that's the right way to look at those verses. I think here's the other thing, and this is an interesting point, and I, I was planning on in the future doing an episode specifically on Paul the Apostle, but let me just go ahead and, and uh, say this here, and because I think it's relevant to this, these kinds of things that we notice, right? So, if we read Paul saying something, as we said earlier, in Galatians, and then later on we see him saying something in First or Second Corinthians or in Romans or things like that, um, what we need to realize is that Paul, like anybody, uh, we have to give him permission to to work something out like all of us uh i uh, i mean in this in this very podcast what am i confessing that i used to think something over here and then later on i realized something different right because i'm continuing to think and process and understand and there are layers to my understanding and processing and yes i change my mind sometimes about things for the better and so you know if we read paul saying something in one of his earlier letters, but then later in some of his later writings, like uh, certainly Ephesians and Colossians, which, not to muddy the waters, but we were pretty sure that Ephesians and Colossians were not r- actually written by Paul, because they come much later, probably dated after Paul died, in other words. But it's likely that Ephesians and Colossians were written by disciples of Paul. So, uh, in other words, they had been learning from Paul, and when Paul died, there were things that he had taught them that he had not written in his other letters, and that they w- they put them down in writing because they wanted people to know, these are the things we've learned from Paul um, since these last letters that he wrote, right? So, they're being, they're just writing those things down, right? Because it's important, and and they attribute it not to themselves because it's not their idea, it's what they learned from Paul because they were they were his disciples. They were learning from Paul. Um, so I still believe that the ideas in Ephesians and Colossians are Pauline ideas. They are ideas inspired by the Apostle Paul. But again, if those ideas in Ephesians and Colossians are where we read things about Christ being all and in all, then, and also there's another beautiful verse where that says that, that we are filled with the fullness of him this is Christ, who fills everything in every way. If Christ fills everything in every way, (laughs) then who, uh, how in the world can we ever have a group of people for whom Christ doesn't fill them? Because by definition, Paul says, 
Uh, Christ fills everything in every way, every way. So uh, that seems pretty, like, final, <laughs> pretty complete, you know. Um, it's, it seems like a pretty universal uh, statement. Christ is all and is in all, and we are filled with the fullness of Christ. Why? Because Christ fills everything in every way. So, again, the, so these ideas came later, uh, near the end of Paul's life and spiritual journey. And so, if earlier in his writings, he wasn't sure about that, and he was using language that sounded like, well, if this and in that. I mean, again, it's no different than what I'm saying I've done, right? I went through this progression where early on I thought, nope, Christ is only in people uh, that invite Jesus in their heart and pray this special prayer. And then I adjusted that, and I said, well, no, 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 no. I'm going to say that Christ, that, that we're all in Christ. Everyone's in Christ. Because, of course, you know, where can you go to escape the presence of God, right? Uh, Paul, uh, David says this in his Psalms, right? Uh, if I descend to to the depths of Sheol, to the grave, there you are. If I rise to the highest heights, there you are. Where can I go from your presence, God? Well, of course, because all of creation is sustained by God and by Christ, right? We know that Paul also says that all things were created by him, for him, and through him, and nothing exists apart from him. So it's impossible to be alive and to exist without being connected to Christ. So it's impossible. Right, um, and then then to have the progression to say that Christ is in everyone, and everyone is in Christ. So these things don't come automatically; they come. Uh, they're ideas that we slowly develop over time, right? And we need ongoing uh, correction and revelation, and it takes time for the Spirit of God to convince us of these things, because early on. You know, our, our ways of thinking are are still very much in sort of this us and them category, right? There are us, people that have believed what we believe and accept what we accept, and then there are people who don't, then they're the other. They are different. They're they're not like us. But it really does seem more and more that as this the Christology of Paul develops and of, of the Christian community uh, as it develops, and you can see the same progression, by the way. Of Christology from the Gospel of Mark, which was many believe is the, one of the earliest gospels, if not the first gospel, and then it gets slowly developed in Matthew and Luke, and then the Gospel of John comes much later. And by the time you get to the Gospel of John, uh, the author of John's Gospel has no problem saying that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that if you've seen Him, you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father, and that the Father uh, and Jesus are one. And then to go even, again, that next step and say um, that we are to be one, even as Jesus and the Father are one, and that, uh, that Jesus is in the Father, and the Father is in him, and we are in Christ, and Christ is in us. So again, it's it's continuing to move away from this idea of separation. But that doesn't happen on on day one, that that kind of theology it doesn't happen at the beginning of early Christianity. It's an idea that slowly over time develops as, I believe, the Spirit of God slowly strips away um, our assumptions of us and them, of separation and of division between ourselves and other people, 
and ourselves in God. That what God is moving us into and helping us understand and accept is, first of all, our oneness with God, our oneness with Christ, and then to understand that uh, that, that oneness is something that is experienced by everyone, and therefore uh, we have a oneness with others as well, who share in the same oneness that we have with God. And I understand that for many people listening, that that is also something that's well, you're not ready for that yet, and uh, and that's okay too. I, I I think you know I want to have grace for people to work things out for themselves. This is how this is the best way for it to happen. And if anything, I'm just recording this podcast as a way to share with you my progression, my the ways that I moved from be, being convinced that I was right about something, and then slowly changing my mind and adjusting that view, and then over time, then eventually changing it again and adjusting it again. And, um, and it's continuing to grow and adjust. Um, and yeah, so now I'm at a place where not only do I believe that, um, that everyone is in Christ, I now believe that Christ is in everyone, but in some of us, uh, it is as if Christ is, uh, dead in his tomb awaiting the inevitable resurrection. But then understanding now where I'm at is that I believe that the implications of our uh, oneness with Christ, our connection with Christ, our inseparable connection with Christ, and everyone's connection with Christ, that where that, the implications of that, where that takes me, um, is, is a belief that now I believe that separation is a, is an illusion that there is no separation between us and God uh or us and Christ and then therefore there is no separation between us and anyone else because if we're all connected to Christ in this beautiful way if Christ is in us and we are in Christ that I I really truly believe that there is no separation between us and other human beings and again, we perceive reality this way. You know, I'm not you, you're not me, and we're not that guy over there. On one level, yeah, okay, yes, that's true. We're in, we are in bodies. My body is not your body. And uh, yes, of course. Um, but in a way, that's on the physical level. But on the spiritual level, the reality is, if you strip away the physical, what you would be left with would be a cohesive, a seamless connection between you and God and God and everybody else. The connection between you and God, or between you and Christ, when Jesus uses that phrase, abide in me and I will abide in you, or I'm the vine and you are the branches, right? Well, the the implications behind that on the individual level for me and you is that you cannot tell where you end and Christ begins, or vice versa. Um, it is a seamless connection, right? It's really difficult, by the way, if you look at a, let's say, a grapevine, to say, well, where are the, what, what, what's the vine and what's the branch? Because they're just, there's so many, right? They're just, it's everywhere. Yeah, you could grab a little piece of it and go, now, is this the vine or the branch? <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, yes, it, the, the answer is yes. It's both the vine and the branch. Yeah. So this abiding 
um, this connection is something seamless. It's difficult to tell. Where do I end and where does Christ begin? And if that's true of you, and if everyone is in Christ, and if Christ is in everyone, and if that seamless connection is something where we cannot tell where any of us begin and where uh, Christ uh, begins and we end, then that's true of everyone. And uh, again, I know for many people this is difficult. I think I would say what's probably helped me a whole lot um, to really fully uh, embrace this idea of uh, the illusion of separation and uh, to embrace non-duality has been, um, recently I've been doing this study on the Gospel of Thomas, and it's just been amazing. And so if you want to keep up with that, uh, I've been doing that every week. Uh, you can go on patheos.com, uh, go, go to keithchiles.com, I guess, that's my blog. Go to keithchiles.com, and you'll see posts that are marked Inner Circle, uh, or it's it's also labeled as premium content underneath the post. But if you click on any of the posts I've given, uh, posted there, um, that say Inner Circle, uh, when you, after you click on it, you'll give uh, an opportunity to uh, subscribe. It's like $5 a month, and you'll be able to keep up with what I'm doing on a weekly basis. And I'm going to be publishing uh, a book eventually of collecting all of these Writings. I'm just going through the sayings of Jesus from the Gospel of Thomas. And what these sayings are all pointing to and affirming and illustrating are this beautiful reality that we are not separated from God or from one another. And again, let me just say um, that this idea of oneness and this, this teaching that we are not separated from God and we are not separated from one another, um, it's a New Testament idea. I mean, you see this throughout the New Testament. So uh, it's in the Gospels. It's in the writings of Paul. It's in Ephesians. It's in, a, in Colossians. It's in First John. Um, it's in Hebrews. So we see this is something that is taught and affirmed by the New Testament church. And it's just further expanded and affirmed in the writings of the Gospel of Thomas. So it's not something like, oh, it's only in the Gospel of Thomas, Keith, and you're being led astray. No, I'm really not. Um, I could teach this. 100% from the New Testament scriptures, from the Gospels, from the writings of Paul, uh, from First John, from Hebrews. It's there. It's totally there. In fact, as I'm going through the Gospel of Thomas and I'm going through the sayings of Jesus from Thomas, I'm often stopping and, and connecting some of those ideas to um, parallel passages that uh, that echo things that are said by Paul and Jesus and John and others. So anyway, if you're interested in that, uh, you're welcome to join us for that journey. And anyway, I hope this is uh I hope this episode was helpful to you. Again, if nothing else, if you take nothing from it except this, uh it's the idea that um we can be wrong, right? Uh we have to be able to be open to the possibility that we're wrong and to change our minds about things. And it can take a long long time. Uh, and that's okay. I think actually it's okay for it to take a long time. Uh, it's okay for us to wrestle with things and question things and to say, well, I don't know what I believe about this. Frankly, I think the best place for you to be uh, is in a place, or at least to be there often, where if someone were to ask you, what do you believe about this or that, that you might honestly say, you know, I don't know. 
I'm still working this out. I mean, here's where I am right now. I'm kind of leaning in this direction, but I'm also wrestling with this or that or these other things. Um, and so I'm still not sure. The cement isn't dry. Um, I'm working it out. And I think that's okay. And if nothing else, I hope this podcast gives you permission to do exactly that, to work it out, to be in a place of flux, to be flexible in your views and to say, I'm honestly trying to figure these things out for myself. I would say good for you. (laughs) Uh, Continue that. Keep working that thing out uh, and stay open to new ideas. And hopefully you pick up some new ideas uh, when you listen to Second Cup with Keith. I thank you for listening uh, to this episode. Thank you for your support. And yeah, I I guess uh, I'll see you over on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I'm on social media there. I'd love to see you over there and interact with you there. Thank you, by the way, for everyone who has made a point to send me a message and let me know how much they're really enjoying uh, the Second Cup with Keith podcast. I got to say, I'm enjoying it. I look forward to doing these uh, every time. And uh, so, yeah, I guess we'll see you again. Enjoy your Second Cup. And uh, I'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much. God bless. Bye-bye.